It's another week. It's another Always Be Watching. This week, Dan and Chris are talking about sex. Explained. The new documentary show from Netflix. There's also the sexy film about international finance tax shelters called The Laundromat. We're going to check out the soapy ice skating Netflix show Spinning Out. And Chris is going to upset the internet with a chat about their favourite girlfriend, Rick and Morty. Legally, I'm advised to tell you that we're offering too much show. So check out the fine print of the podcast while we play the theme song. Hey Dan, it's great to be here. Hey Chris, it's also great to be here. Are you hosting this week? Is that uh, what's going on? I think, well, you did the intro, but yes, I'm hosting. Um, welcome to Always Be Watching, our weekly chat about the things we've been watching on television. We're two very interesting um, people in the world who only have things that we've been watching to talk about as conversation. Now, Chris, how would you explain what this podcast is about? I thought I just did it very clearly. Well, maybe ask me. <laughs> Dan, uh, tell the people what the podcast is about. Okay, look, the way that I usually explain this to people, okay, and like the way you did it was fine. Thanks. I mean, some people could say this is the sort of pub chat that people have when they're giving TV recommendations to each other. But the way that I usually explain it is, let's say that you're at work, mm-hmm. okay, you've got to have a massive presentation to the boss. Mm, okay, Stressful. You've presented a number of options to the boss, one that's an incredibly like ridiculous option, and then some fairly sensible options. Mm-hmm. Your boss ends up choosing the ridiculous option. Typical. Ends up killing a international world leader. Yes. Takes the world to the brink of nuclear annihilation. Mm. It's okay. all too true. And while you know this is all going on, you're like, look, mate, that's going on. Let's just hang out in the other room for a few minutes. <laughs> We've got to talk about something else. What are we watching on TV? We're forgetting... The- <laughs> and that's the real life everyday story that I tell when people ask what the podcast is about. Excellent. You've got it down to a really succinct little uh, soundbite there yeah. too, which is great. And it's relatable. Uh, the world's burning. We might as well watch television. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. I'm in. I'm in for that. Um, it's been a big start to the year already. Heaps of great stuff to watch on television. Heaps of great movies. Yeah. I'm a bit shocked by it all. I'm having trouble keeping up. I had a good catch up over the uh, over the summer break, but I'm um, re- yes struggling to stay on top of it all at this point. Chris, can we talk about sex again? Yeah, I'm really no expert in this area, so, <laughs> but yeah, sure, why not? You got to learn sometime. Maybe there's some way I could learn about sex. Look, there has been something I've been watching recently. Oh, really? What have you been watching? Whoa, that was a circuitous way of getting there. I've been watching a show on Netflix called Sex Explained. I think a sexual fantasy for me would be to have my partner like going around with a toy that I could sort of control and modulate at a, at a wedding, like in, at, a, at a business meeting. There's like theoretically some like risk of discovery, so it's kind of like hot in that way. Two thirds of men and women have fantasized about sex toys. Two of the most common ones: blindfolds and handcuffs. Which brings us to the third big fantasy genre. Power and control. Now, we're recording this without knowing what the audio clip was that we just played. Mm. I'm pretty sure that whatever I just played is probably the horniest thing you're going to hear all day. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope not. I'm not in any state to deal with that. <laughs> um, I've seen this come up on the uh, Netflix thing, and I thought it, I assumed it was uh, one of those things that was made for people who are scared of porn but still want to be titillated, such as SBS used to be at night. Uh, look, I mean, that's a way you could sort of look at it. So it's actually kind of funny that you talk about it that way because there's something which we're going to get to in just a moment. But what Sex Explained is, it's part of an ongoing series of um, TV series that's been produced for Netflix by Vox.com. 
If you know Vox at all... It's a website. It's a website, uh, as evidenced by the .com. <laughs> Everything's a- got a .com these days. It's not just websites, Dan. Uh, what I really like about Vox as an online publisher is that all their articles are about trying to provide context to things. Yes. Like, they, everything is an explainer. Yes. Okay, so, like, there'll be a new story, and, like, there might be two or three parts about what the new story is, but then it'll go into some depth about the history of it and why you should be interested in it and what the ramifications are from this new story to things going forward. And it's a very contextual sort of Something thing. Something sorely missing from basically every other piece of news we get these days. That's exactly it. Okay, so in a way, it's kind of like the Australian kids' news program behind the news. Loved that show. And, like, that was always good because they provided that context and let kids actually learn what was going on in the world. And the world's a complicated place where you actually kind of need to have these things explained out to you. So with a lot of the Vox online content that's, like, audio and video, they keep on using the word explained as part of the title. So I listen to a podcast called Today Explained. And it's always a new story about what's happening in the world. So in the last week, there's a lot of Iran, Iraq stuff. Mm-hmm. And so every day that week, there was stuff explaining how that situation all came about and what it means. And on a day-by-day basis, the way that the story was evolving and changing, the additional context you need to understand what was happening with all these evolutions along the way. Yeah, sure. Fantastic. Really fascinating stuff. But they've produced a number of series for Netflix as well, where it's also under that Explained banner. And I've talked about a few things that none of it's coming to mind right now. But their current one is Sex Explained. And so it's, I'm going to say, eight or ten episodes. So it's, it's a whole series of the sex explained as opposed to different... I, I see, absolutely. I thought it was different epi- I thought it was different things explained, one an episode, but no, I'm yeah. wrong. No, so it's sex explained over a couple of episodes, so different sure. things about sex and sex culture. So when I was watching it, the one thing that came to mind for me, and this is what you were talking about with the idea of, is this just like horny TV for people <laughs> who don't want to watch pornography? There was a show that existed through the 90s called Real Sex. It was produced by HBO. Yes. And I think there were about like 20 of these documentaries. So, Ed and Australia on the Comedy Channel. Okay. And I was a teenager when it was airing on the Comedy Channel. So, I've seen a fair bit of that TV program. <laughs> but essentially, that's kind, of what that, that's kind of what that show was. And if you think about like through a 90s context, that was a time where there wasn't sort of internet pornography readily available everywhere. And so... <laughs> the dark sh- days, I used to call it. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Shows like that were very... I'm not trying to derail you here with my childish smutty talk. Trying to keep things as grown up as possible here, Chris. Sorry, dude. Sorry. Yeah. Before we get into the ins and outs of it all. (laughs) But Chris, Real Sex was this thing where they tried to have a serious look at sex and sexuality through Mm -hmm. some very sort of grown up documentary style sort of looks. But there was always that undercurrent where it's like, you know, there's boobs and, you know, whatnot. Uh, so there was always more than like one or two segments with a group of women who needed to learn how to pleasure themselves. I was about to go a different way when I was saying that then, but I thought, let's keep the podcast clean. All right. There'd always be something like, oh, these women are learning how to pleasure themselves. It'd be like a group of like eight women sitting around in a circle. And it was always just, you know. But anyway, that's HBO's Real Sex. And what I liked about Sex Explained is that it actually sort of takes that idea of real sex, which is let's create some stories around the way that people are actually engaging with their sex lives, but actually overlay it in the same way that Vox does with all their articles and give it an actual proper intellectual layer. So it adds some actual context as opposed to being a cheap excuse for boobs and you know other bits that people have. Now, the very first episode, and I've only seen the first one so far, uh, this debuted just a couple of days ago as we record, uh, but the first one was talking about how common uh, very specific sexual fantasies are. So what it was saying... Did they cover any of yours? Uh, well, let's get to that. <laughs> this is a very special episode of Always Be Watching. Yes. No, but what they were talking about is the idea of uh, what people are searching for online 
and how that sort of changes in terms of people's age and demographics and yes. all that kind of thing. And so, for example... Statistically based. It was very statistically based. So, it was, uh, they're talking to one guy who creates like a wo- uh, word cloud of yeah, right. like the search terms that people are interested in. Okay, so like why people are drawn to like BDSM fantasies or cuckolds or that sort of a thing. Okay, but what do you think the number one thing is that people are searching I'm for? Absolutely not going to guess, Dan. No, I think you are. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not. not. No, no, what do you think? When people are searching for like a sexual fantasy, oh, Dan, don't make me do it. No, no it's pretty just obvious. tell me. No, first, it's not obvious. I don't know what. Think it about is. the number one thing that you've searched for on the internet. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to say no, okay. anything, Dan. So the number one thing that people search for is threesomes. <laughs> Whoa! Sorry, I'm just joking on my bubble tea. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get that dirty, Dan. I know. Pretty out there. But anyway, apparently that's the right, number one thing people go. are searching for. And I learned this because I watched Sex Explained. And Excellent. it explained why it is that people are interested in that. So it actually looks at like the ages of the people. It's not young people looking up threesomes. It's generally people aged 40 and above. Mm. So a big part of what people are looking for when it's you know they're looking up sexual fantasy online is actually the fantasy aspect of it. And so people are looking up things that they don't actually necessarily experience in real life and want to get some sort of connection to that. Look, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And so this is a show that kind of explains that and lays out this is why this age is particularly interested in that and sort of grew that out. So I thought over 19 minutes, so I said the phrase grew it out. And, <laughs> I didn't miss know, it. I was just trying to play it. Oh, I, I know, but you know, we're all grown ups here. But yeah, over 19 minutes, all the episodes are kept fairly short and concise. Uh, but it was actually fairly informative. And it just seemed like it wasn't necessarily just for titillation. Well, I'm sure there's lots of people who watch it going, oh, yeah. But <laughs> lots broadly, of people, he says. Broadly, I'd actually suggest that I don't think most people watching it probably are getting that out of it. I think they're actually walking away with going, you know what? That was like a little bit smutty and a little bit fun. But I don't think they're necessarily, you know... <laughs> Where, where do I end with this? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they're getting their jollies Look, I from the program. I don't, yeah, and obviously we've, we're, yeah. We're, quite, we're probably beyond that, and there are reasons why um, SBS used to put a lot more smutty shows on late night uh, <laughs> than what they do now. Um, probably. But yes, no, this well, is because you can stream Room and Room anytime you want on well, SBS look, On Demand. You know, it's funny. One of the things that I've been watching um, that I've talked about on the show before is the uh, Netflix show Big Mouth, you know, which yeah. is the John Mulaney, uh, Nick Kroll, and a bunch of other very funny people. Which, weirdly, this is a very good companion for that program. Well, that's what I'm thinking, you know, like that's there's no lie that there is things about sexuality um, that are being discussed in that program that I've literally never seen discussed anywhere on television or anything else. So it's it's interesting to hear, like, maybe there is a bit more, you know, certainly the world could use a lot more honest and frank discussion about SEX. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do the thing off the goodies where I don't know if you remember, you're too young for the goodies, I think, Dan. But um, Sorry, I thought instead of SEX, you might do a bit of, you know, frank and grown up conversation about <laughs> There you go. Uh, no, but it's great to see that. That's and, that's, and that's so. It's interesting that Netflix. I guess without the uh, this is another thing that we've talked about before too, where you know Netflix doesn't have the scrutiny of um, of censors and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that obviously gives them a little bit more leeway to be a bit more practical about this stuff than maybe you would get away with for a network or a big cable television network or something like that. Now, I was actually listening to, there was an episode of Fresh Air, which is an NPR radio Mm -hmm. program from the United States, uh, and they were talking to a psychologist who had been looking at the difference between, like, teenage girls and teenage boys. Mm -hmm. So she just finished, like, this lengthy, um, like, um, survey, like, a research project Mm -hmm. on teen girls, and she thought, well, I should probably look at teen boys next. And she learned a whole bunch of different things about Horrible, horrible things. Well, like, she was (laughs) expecting it to be, like, a specific type of horrible... But the one thing that she sort of, well, no, she like sort of came out and said, look, this is, you know, what I was expecting from her. And so she expected like sort of yeah. gross teenage boy, like grottiness. 
But what she actually walked away from the things that are really sort of discovering, and I'm getting to a different point that I'm not even talking about right now. But what she discovered was that the one thing that she thought was really sad talking to all the teenage boys is that if you think about the role that feminism has had in society, girls have really benefited from feminism for the obvious reasons, which is that they've found a sense of authority in their own voices, they're you know, actually able to progress and be seen as equals, and all the good things that feminism has you know, brought us. But the problem that a lot of teenage, oh, like boys have had in terms of that same sort of growth period is that while teen girls have evolved and grown and gone with that, boys have maintained those same sort of expectations upon both themselves and the expectations they put on each other to maintain traditional masculine roles. Sure. And so you've got these boys who can't actually express emotion to each other because if they do, that'd be seen as pretty gay, wouldn't you agree, Chris? Yes. No, I mean, this is the thing. Like, there's all these boys talking to her saying that, you know, I don't actually feel that I'm able to cry. Yeah. And just like that sort of thing. And like, you sort of heard the, and this is after a year of her talking to like teenage girls. And just like, it just seemed like a really sad, just horrible yeah sort of thing. That's, yeah yeah and while i thought that was really interesting she was also trying to talk about some of the grotty stuff as well okay but she was talking on a broadcast network in the u.s yes and so when she was trying to talk about it she actually stopped the interview midway through and said hey look i actually think it's a bit of a shame i can't talk openly and honestly here because there's a lot of things that people would get benefit out of actually hearing vocalized yeah and yeah about. sure but because of radio laws, we can't really do that. And the host, Terry Gross, who gets away with saying some pretty grotty things on the air, because I think she just delights in it. Like she said, yeah, I mean, I think that's a real shame. And they talked a little bit about broadcast laws. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, and isn't it? It's fascinating. Netflix aren't really held by that same sort of standard yeah. where they can be open and honest. And I think countries, particularly the United States, which are very repressed about sexuality in a way that Europe isn't. Mm. Okay, I mean, Australia probably straddles between the two. Straddles. Straddles. <laughs> straddles the high horse. Yeah, and it just sort of seems though, you know, I think there's definitely people in the world who would get a lot out of seeing these programs on Netflix. So things like Big Mouth, things like Sex Explained Here, and also they've got that show Sex Education. And if you think about what they offer, like, people, like, Big Mouth is probably great for your young teens to really get that. When they hit their mid-teens, sex education probably actually plays a really good role because yeah, sure. they talk about sexual experiences which are a little bit older than, the t- like, the tweens of Big Mouth. Yeah. But then Sex Explained because they're dealing with some actual very grown-up things. Like, I wouldn't expect the kids in Big Mouth to be talking about BDSM and cuckolds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but that's something they can talk about in Sex Explained. Yeah, um, it does. It, it probably does delve into that a little bit for you. Really? But, um, but yeah, no, it's just, yes, I, uh, that's a very interesting thing and something that we should uh, be grateful for the, our new monolithic over lords netflix mm. uh anyway, so that's sex, sex explained. explained yeah it's streaming now if there was anything i needed to learn about sex i would watch it dan yeah anyway uh, but every <laughs> everything you needed to learn you led from the letters pages of hustler oh my god let's not even talk about it okay chris um, this thing happened you won't believe what went on <laughs> uh now the, the thing that happened was you watched something on tv right yeah i did watch something on tv dan god that was an excellent segue I watched a program, uh, I watched a film, I guess it's a film, called The Laundromat. You did, you did what? I went to the Clark County Registrar to get the name of the buyer. Yeah? Yeah. And I found out it's a company. New Century Enterprises of Panama. Wait, I thought you said it was Russia. Russians with... that's what Hannah told me. Hannah. Hannah, Hannah She's the realtor with the tight dresses. Anyway... I looked up New Century Enterprises, and turns out it's controlled by a trust, something called a trust. A trust is like a fiduciary agreement under which a third party can... Okay, okay, okay. So the director of both New Century and the trust is a woman, a woman named Mia Beltran. Mia 
Is, okay, is that an, a name that I should know? Well, she is obviously very powerful. She is the director of numerous companies. All her companies are registered to the same law firm in Panama, Marsec and Fonseca. The Laundromat, this was a Netflix movie, I believe. Yeah, see, I rely on you to know some of the background of this stuff that I know nothing about except for the fact that I've watched it. So, so you've heard of Steven Soderbergh, right? Steven Soderbergh, fantastic director. Signed a deal with Netflix, produced a number of films for them so far. First one was High Flying Bird, and oh. then now he's done The Laundromat. What was High Flying Bird like? Uh, I've not seen it, but I wanted to because I quite like the Soderbergh. Yeah, me too. And. I, you know, it's hard to explain because it's not really the kind of filmmaker I traditionally get into, but I always have really, really liked his stuff. Um, the Laundromat, basically, I knew nothing about it. I was watching the, you know, the little um, the the images come up on Netflix telling me what I should watch, and uh, it said Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, and Antonio Banderas, and that was kind of like I would pretty. I've pretty much watched every movie with Meryl Streep ever, and I will continue to do so for the rest of my life. So I was like, yep, yeah, right, yeah, it's time to watch a Meryl Streep film. I guess the most interesting thing about this is, I mean, straight away, is it, that it's not a. It, it does it does some really cool stuff with how it tells the story. So, and it's not a strict narrative. It's not a strict narrative, but it kind of is. So it has a. Um, it it starts with um, Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas who are explaining basically the um, systems under which. Uh, the op- offshore money, I'm going to call it offshore money laundering, even though it's illegal, that's gone down and been exposed basically by the Panama Papers, I think was the main crux for this whole thing and looks at a couple of, it fictionalizes slightly a couple of the um, stories that were yeah. in the Panama Papers. Now, the firm responsible was uh, Mossack Fonseca. Yes. And I believe that they are performing as both Mossack and Fonseca. Well, they are, right? So, yeah, yeah. so it's not actually, fic- well, I mean, I guess it is fictionalized to a degree, but they are yeah. doing the real characters. That, that's what the- I think from, it's been a few months since I've seen this. Week. Yeah, so Ullman and Banderas as those two characters, uh, which it's not immediately obvious that's what they're doing, but they are they are explaining to the camera during scenes and around scenes what what's kind of gone down, how they've managed to launder all this money, how they how it works, how what little they know about it, and all that kind of stuff. Meryl Streep um, at the beginning of the movie is with her husband who uh, has an unfortunate accident. Like they're both like he's about to retire. Like they're about both to retire. They're they're old. Maybe they've just retired. Perhaps, yeah, yeah, I think they have just retired. But, that's right. Yeah, but they're living their best lives. Living so. their best part. Of, yeah, living their best lives. About to go to, and there's a terrible accident, and he dies. And it turns out that the insurance um, for which um, Meryl Streep's trying to claim uh, has gone through a sham company that was set up in, um, which was part of um, one of these uh, money laundering operations, offshore operations that doesn't actually exist at all. So there's no insurance, and she's trying to get to the bottom of it. And so, yeah, it's, it's a show game. Yeah, and it's a very like that's a very simplistic way of describing what's actually a much more complicated film, and it has. But what, what's sections. good about this is that it's a fairly simple way of explaining some very complicated ideas. Absolutely, yes. And um, have, you've watched it? Yeah, I did. So, yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure. Arkness came out in November. Yeah, yeah, right. Maybe? But yeah, I watched it pretty early. You watched it when it first yeah. came out. Yeah. So I, I mean, I really enjoyed the switching between the narrative and the um, explainer sort of style. F- f- uh, to camera breaking the fourth wall kind of stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like a Vox article. Yeah, and then I and, but and I really liked how that kind of dovetailed at the end towards those characters being involved in the actual story, and you're seeing how that planned out. And I also really liked the way that the um, story was kind of told in the three parts, focusing very much on the three on 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 different aspects of the Meryl Streep's kind of journey to try and get this stuff out. Mm. Uh, so anyway, and I, I was really interested again, I, again, it's a sort of a small, it's kind of a small movie. It's not a massive big, um, you know, it's not like a, it's not a blockbuster. 
No, it's not a blockbuster. So it's like it feels large because there's a fair bit of globe traveling in it. Yes, so, and because there's big names. Yeah. So, David Schwimmer forgot to mention. <laughs> forgot about Schwimmer. Being he in was it. very good in it. I was very, I was very cynical about him when he showed up. But Schwimmer's I mean, really underrated. He's very underrated. I'm glad you agree with me on like that. Like you saw him in People vs. People vs. Yeah, People vs. OJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, yeah, he's good, right? So I was getting confused. I was about to say People vs. Larry Flint because <laughs> yeah. I mentioned Hustler earlier. Would it, it would have been like 12 when that became, movie came out. I think he was starring in Friends, a oh, very probably. popular sitcom. Yeah. Time. Probably. Um, my, my concept of time isn't great. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I was, what I was just thinking that while it's definitely a film which is very sort of a talk driven, like it feels like it's a small indie film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's kind of interesting is that you've got this fictionalized Meryl Streep character yep. who is exploring, you know, what the deal was with the shell companies that have been set up to surround like her husband's insurance. And so she travels from whatever part of the US that she's living in. She wants to move to Vegas, but I don't think she's living in Vegas. No. Yeah. But anyway, so she tries to explore what's going on there. You see the storyline with David Schwimmer as the guy. I don't remember if it was him that actually placed the insurance initially. Yes. He's yeah. the one that changes the insurance. He ch- he switches it over to save money right. to this other company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you sort of see his storyline play out a little bit. And then you see Meryl Streep head over to a couple of the different countries where the various shuttle companies have been set up. And so she's following the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So through her character, you sort of see the way that this is like a global enterprise. And as you start seeing her travel around, like the story keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And you come across just all these little characters and side storylines of people who have just been impacted by... um, Being involved in it in some way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, the storyline I thought was probably the most fun of it all is that you've got this teenage girl whose father is a philandering... um, I don't even know what he is. Like, I want to say that he's got, like, a drug... Like, he's a drug kingpin or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's definitely, like, like shady stuff. Yeah. Maybe guns. I'm not sure. But anyway, he's invested a fair bit of money with uh, like an overseas company. And so she's discovered that he's cheating on the mother. And so the father pays her off by giving her shares to like this company that's within a shell organization. You know, things don't really play out well for everyone involved in that. <laughs> but like, it's legitimately funny. And there's yeah. great jokes. And, I'd forgotten like, about that part. Is, yeah. Yeah, in fact, and I, and I really like the um, focusing on the, there's there's a smaller section of the film. It's probably more than three parts. I can't remember exactly how it's, it's, yeah. it's really kind of well segmented how it's broken up. Um, and where they're actually looking at the people who are put in as the as the heads of these companies and how you know how they might have five thousand and you know and companies that they're the director of and, and they were receptionists yeah and other, yeah and yeah. they're just kind of doing it without any real concept of what they're doing or any uh, which I'm sure is which obviously is exactly what's happening I don't think they were playing much with the truth with any of that kind of stuff yeah. it's all straight out of the papers right um, so yeah I, heaps of reasons I really liked it and I would uh, recommend anyone. Uh, that's interested vaguely in that stuff or the amazing Meryl Streep who I'll just continue to gush over to check it out. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the most fun thing to press play on. But it, 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 but it if, was a fun ride. Like, it, it's a lot more fun than you would think it is. It's not the kind of dry movie that a lot of these other ones that have been exe- examining financial crisis and financial philandering have been. Yeah, like, it gives you lots of, like, very smooth entry points where you get involved in the Meryl Streep character particularly. Yeah. And even if there's a few moments where you start to waver a little bit because it gets a little dry, like, through necessity more than anything else. Yeah. Like, they'll, like Soderbergh will give you something to latch onto. So, yeah. yeah, and then it switch. And, and you're right, and just when it starts to kind of get a bit um, dull, it's it, very good at switching the kind of focus of where, where it's going with the story. So, yeah. I thought it was great. It was much better than I kind of anticipated it to be, and yeah. Yeah, there was a Adam Driver film called The Report, which was made for Amazon mm. recently, and that was looking at some of the CIA ah. uh, real-life issues from the last sort of you know, 10, 15 years, and that was really dry, Right, and it kind of fell into all the pitfalls that I expected the laundromats to fall into. 
but it's but it yeah. managed to avoid them. And Gary, oh, no, no, like it fell into them. Yeah, yeah. But the, the laundromat absolutely avoided, avoided them. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's good. I'm still kind of. I'll watch that because I'm in love Check with Adam Driver. At it's the pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there you go. The laundromat on the Netflix. Mm. I think now's the time where I go. Oh, I'm a bit shady. It's only our second episode back. I think it's time for me to say, "Hey, Dan, what have you been watching?" Look, Chris, you know me. I love dance. <laughs> you love to dance. You were born to dance. Born to dance. Love it to bits. I like watching stories about dance. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever saw it. There was this great show that was produced for, I want to say it was maybe Stars in the US. Uh, I was streaming here in Australia on Stan. And it was this thing called uh, Blood and Bone. Bone and Blood. It's, it's that's, that the fer- that's the fertilizer. <laughs> Is there really a fertilizer called that? <laughs> yes. Okay, but th- this was a show set in, I think, New York, and it was about, like, dance and dances. And within that, there was, like, this really sort of interesting gimmick they had, which, if you're a professional dancer, like, it's very hard on your body. And while they present in sort of fairly delicate... Um, you know, costuming and whatnot. What's really going on is that they are screwing up their feet terribly, totally. uh, trying to fit into like costuming, which is just ridiculous. No human body should have to go through what they went through. And in that show, uh, you like heard like every bone breaking, you heard every like muscle sort of being pulled. Like that show was incredibly visceral. I sat down and I watched the new Netflix drama called Spinning Out. Putting in my notice at the airport tomorrow. Just so I can focus full time on Serena's training and the night shift's just too much. You stop taking your meds. How dare you? After all I've sacrificed? If I hadn't gotten pregnant with you, I would have gone to the Olympics! There's not a day I don't think about that! I know. Now settle down. Leave me alone! Look at what you're doing to her. You're not healthy right now. You're hurting her. Do you hear me? Yes. Now, Chris, while I was talking about Blood and Bone, if that was the name of the program. It was called Flesh and Bone. Flesh and Bone. Sorry, I had to find it because I thought it was amusing. Flesh and Bone, while that played around like that physicality, Spinning Out starts doing a very similar thing. So watching the first episode, there's this really great moment where this one, it's about ice skaters. So kind of similar to like ballet is it, dance. Sorry, i got to say, is it a drama or is it a... It's a drama. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so in a very similar way to talking about like the dancers, like you've got, you know, uh, people with whom are sort of life, beautiful women on the um, ice dancing around looking as gorgeous as they are, but putting their bodies through these terribly punishing mm. like regimens. There's this one scene where you see like the horror of what I'm sure is probably a fairly frequent occurrence where the dancer ends up screwing up something on the ice and ends up taking the blade from her Eesh. shoe straight through the top of her foot. Eesh. And it's, you know how you're squins- like, yeah, squirming yeah, yeah. right now? It's so much more graphic on the screen. Oh and I watched, watched that and I thought, you know what, this is actually doing the exact same thing that Flesh and Bone was doing. And I really quite got into it. Like, it sort of seemed like they were being truthful about what's going on here. The thing is, that's kind of only in the first episode. And then after that, they start just playing into the soapy aspects of the ice skating world a little bit too much. And sure. Then it started to lose me and I just kind of so tape it, it off. Is it like high level competitive ice skating that we're talking about? Or is it Absolutely local? high level. We're yeah, talking about yeah, like right. Olympics level ice skating. And coming off the back of seeing I, Tonya, yep. uh, was it last two years ago? Yeah, uh, I like, seen it a bit. Yeah, so I mean, already we've sort of seen some of the punishing issues that these people are going through. And the core relationship in this is that you've got one girl who's the main character 
Uh, she's got her domineering mother, which feels very much like Artania, and I'm sure is very much like a lot of relationships. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, go on here, and then there's like another daughter who's a couple of years younger, but has a lot of promise on the ice as well. And so you've got this sort of promising young ingenue, and then you've got her older sister who's maybe sort of failing a little bit at it, but still has some skill that hasn't quite been tapped into yeah. quite. And then there's the mother who had a cr- promising career when she was young that never really quite played out either. Uh, the mother, and this is where you'll be a bit more interested, Chris, uh, January Jones from TV's Mad Men. Ah, yes. Betty Draper herself. Betty Draper. Oh, my yep. God. And I didn't really quite notice it was her at first. Oh, wow. She's very good. I'm not surprised yeah. that we uh, able to... Um, carry over another thing. Yeah, she, she is like good in a way that I don't think people really gave her the credit for. Because uh, I mean, mostly a terrible character. God, we've got to watch. We've got to watch Mad Men again now, haven't we? We should do a weekly Mad Men watch. All right. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, there's some other faces that people would know playing some supporting characters in there. So David James Elliott from TV's Jag. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know that guy. Oh boy. It's each, I try so hard to forget Jag existed. And then you'll see a few other faces where you're like, oh, I know that person. And then you that, look them up going, yeah, I kind of know that person. It's a horrible period where we had very little content anywhere except for Jag. Yeah. It was, it was all that was on TV. Every Friday reason. night. It was just like, oh my God, who watches this? Uh, yes, anyway, could, I'm glad to hear that it didn't ruin his life anyway. Yeah, so this show, uh, both the daughter, the protagonist in the show, as well as her mother, both of them have had issues with mental health throughout the years. And while it's definitely sort of corrupted the mother a little bit more, the daughter's sort of found a way to sort of balance that in her life. And so there's just that constant sort of challenge in their lives of having this as like a specter over there. Yeah. For sure. Well. This is the show, if you want something which is like just a soapy, fun sort of uh, couch binge, I think you're going to have a really good time with it. I had some expectations on it from the beginning, thinking it was slightly more elevated than it is. And I think I got a bit disappointed by it and just tape it off. I think people are going to have fun with this one, though. Yeah, and and that it's happens. It's definitely with, got an audience. It happens with these shows, right? It's happened with quite a few where you get some really good substantial stuff at the start of it. I've, I felt that a, a little bit with um, Pose. You know, it started out yeah. so sort of strong and, and really, and it got a bit soapy towards the the end and stuff. And I lost a little bit of interest, but I can see how that. I can see how that's my experience with it, and that some people would have really much enjoyed that uh, that where it went that way and got a little bit lighter. Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge when you've got sort of human dramas like this, where if you've got particularly a, I don't want to say social message, but if there's definitely a um, aspect of uh, like a world that you want to sort of I think into, social message isn't too bad. Social yeah, message yeah. is probably fine. Like something like Pose taps into this quite nicely. And in spinning out, obviously, it's very much about the pressures being put on these ice skaters mm. and then some of the mental health issues that are attached to that as well. Like that to me, like seemed like a really interesting idea, but there's only so much you can really play with that until they just seem like they're hitting the same notes over and over again. Yeah. And then outside of that, it's always going to become a bit more soapy. So if you're invested in that world and have a connection to it, it's probably going to work for you, but it doesn't really necessarily elevate itself to people who are just looking for a quality drama in a world that they're not necessarily as tightly wound to. Yeah, for sure. Mm. But anyway, spinning out, streaming on Netflix and take a look. Your mileage may vary. (laughs) Chris Yates. Here's the thing. There's, okay. there's a show that's very popular. I've only ever seen one or two episodes of it. Of the of the whole show? Of the whole show. Oh, that's odd. It is odd. Because <laughs> I actually quite like the couple of episodes I saw. Yeah, yeah. But I just haven't for whatever reason. But Chris, this is a contentious show where if anybody says anything negative about it, they're going to find themselves like pilloried on the street. Look, I think you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how I want to come into this because I've I've watched the first three episodes so, of so, the new season of, and this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this now. Okay. Of yes, we're talking about season four of Rick and Morty. 
Jeez, you're really about my mom making sure I'm okay with our adventures? What's next, Morty? What if I want you to jump off the Empire State Building? I have to ask? Yes? And you seriously don't see how that's a slippery slope. Just shut up and help me with these... Please? Why are they called death crystals? Do, do they kill you? You're thinking of bullets, Morty. Death crystals show you how you're going to die. Rick and Morty never heard of a crystal. Never heard of it. Well, it's a popular cartoon series. <laughs> um, <coughs> now, what I've heard about the fans, a little bit psycho. A little bit psycho. Oh, yeah, but, you know, like, I, I take all that stuff with a grain of salt because, like, there's these people are just, you know, the people that get this excited and the stuff about it, whatever, I, I'm, I'm fine with them. They can have their fun and they can take it as seriously as they want. It doesn't really affect me. I don't really listen to it. You're not the one offering Szechuan sauce. No, exactly. Like, it's, it's totally fine. Do we need to explain that? Do the people know about the Szechuan sauce? Uh, <laughs> You could explain it. It's a good story. It'll fill up for the lack of things that I don't have to say about Rick and Morty Season 4. There's a film in the late 90s, 96, 97 from Disney called Mulan. It's about to be a feature film, live action coming out again soon. Yeah, because that's what we really need is Disney remaking all these cartoons, those terrible movies. Um, As was the case, and it may still be the case, but whenever they've got one of these big sort of animated films, there's usually some sort of McDonald's tie-in. And obviously, when Mulan's coming out, like it's a bit hard to come up with like toys for Mulan. I think um, certainly racially sensitive toys, as if that would have mattered back then. But yeah, yes. well, I mean that's the other thing as well. Uh, but McDonald's came up with the idea that oh, you know, let's do a Szechuan sauce. So it was like a limited edition Szechuan sauce. Yes, apparently it was delicious. Yes, or at least people remember it being delicious. Yeah, yeah, that's more accurate. Yeah. I would say. Uh, within Rick and Morty, there's an ongoing joke in the episode, or maybe just even one episode. I think it's just, yeah, I think it's one yeah. where Rick really loves it. Yeah, and so they deal with it a fair bit in the show. And so McDonald's, as a promotional tie-in, thought, hey, let's bring back the Szechuan sauce. Okay, so at a limited number of restaurants across the US, you could go in there for one day only and get a small little tub of Szechuan sauce. Caused riots. Yeah, because McDonald's <laughs> did not provide enough Szechuan sauce. Some stores didn't get the Szechuan sauce. Others got like a large abundance of it. And basically the whole thing just became a huge nightmare because Rick and Morty fans are crazy. <laughs> and there was a number of people taking to social media, issuing death threats. As we look back... Getting on angry the, in restaurants. As we look back on the decade just past, it seems crazy to not mention that this <laughs> happened and that that's, this is the kind of... This is the era we're living in. Um, it's indicative of that. Have I ever told you about the McDonald's podcast they tried doing? <laughs> no. Okay, so about a year or two after the Szechuan sauce incident with Rick and Morty, they thought they'd make good. It must have been like within the same year. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they thought they'd make good and re-release the Szechuan sauce. Yep. And so as part of that, they came up with this podcast, which explained the Szechuan sauce issue and like why it was that it was actually hard to create the Szechuan sauce to begin with. And it was a corporate-driven podcast. Yes, the best kind. Now, the thing is, there's actually a fun story to be told, even from a corporate perspective, but clearly the lawyers had gotten involved in it. (laughs) And so when McDonald's is telling a story about the Szechuan sauce, they kept on having to refer to Rick and Morty, but the lawyers have clearly said that you can't name the program. And so consistently through this podcast, they keep on talking about a very popular animated TV show. Oh my God. It was maybe the worst corporate thing I've ever heard. Oh, that's so dumb. Yeah. Um, like, they were better off not doing the podcast than, than having than to doing like, that. Yeah, mention that all the time. Can we start a McDonald's podcast? Uh, yes. Excellent. All right, I'm down with that. It's going to be like a food review program, right? Um, yeah, there'll be a lot of reviews. Um, as long as they keep making delicious burgers, I think there'll be plenty to talk about. Chris and Dan, munch on Maccas. <laughs> Subscribe now. Uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, and there's, there's a thing, Rick and Morty is quite, uh, we love saying this this phrase, but it's quite auto-driven, right? It's a small, mm. it's a it's written in mostly by two people, by one person, um, and it's... Uh, you know, it's had a very clear direction. It sort of wasn't very... It, it, it was un... 
predictably popular, I think, wouldn't be another way to say it. So it kind of, no one really expected it to go as hard as it did. Yeah, it was definitely a cult show at first, but with a very vocal support base. <laughs> and it's probably, like, who knows? It probably still is. I don't know how many people are actually watching it. Well, I think it's, like, land up on Netflix around the place. So I think that sort of very positive word of mouth has grown into, like, a fairly sizable It's not made by Netflix, is it? No. It's made by... It was a cartoon network show, like an adult swim. And is it still, or is it now made by Netflix? No, I think you know? it's still like an adult yeah, swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I don't know that much about Rick no. Morty, to be honest. Um, and, and neither do I. Like, I re- watched it and really enjoyed it. There's some amazing episodes, uh, some really, really amazing episodes in the last season kind of fell down a little bit flat at the end. I'm three episodes into this new one, and I just cannot grab, I cannot grasp it. I cannot get my teeth into it, and I cannot find anything to really enjoy about it in any way the same that I did with the previous ones. And I don't know whether I'm just, whether I've changed or whether it's um, just not happening as, as well as it could. Yeah. I, I also feel like it's Has sort there of, been a long gap between seasons? There's a fairly long gap. I think it was maybe... It was over a year. Um, not hugely long. Which, admittedly, it's always hard to tell with animation because sometimes... Yeah. It's- yeah, that's right. It could have been made a lot earlier than what it was. But I don't think so because I think they were pretty much... I think there was a lot of stuff where... Um, Dan Harmon was like, is that his name? Yeah, uh, was uh, you know, he's he not, was. He's not the creator of the show, but he's like the he's the runner or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he was having a lot of trouble finishing it. Like, I know there there was a lot of talk about it. it was sort of it was him holding it up rather than um, it being a studio kind of thing because he was going through his crises of being a successful middle aged man and not knowing what to. Uh, do with itself, and, and I think it's, Man, it's weird to hear about Dan Harmon <laughs> having production issues. The uh, the funny, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, maybe something that's clouded my vision is that I've watched that documentary about him and his um, touring podcast. Is that through Harmon Town? Yes, Harmon Town. Um, is that the name of the documentary as well? I can't remember. I feel it might be. Um, and so, I would say that despite his best efforts to make it flattering about himself and to to, to sort of show his human side, and to I, I would say that he failed pretty badly at doing that and I kind of came out of it just going like oh my god seriously this guy so that might have affected my enjoyment of or, or my willingness to get back on board with season four in a really passionate way I'm going to keep going on it but um at this stage I would say I have been underwhelmed by um the first few episodes of the new season which is a shame because the season three came in really strong I think it had I can't exactly remember where the absolute peak of it was for me um, but you know, it's been some very clever. It's it's high, despite its kind of like crassness. It's quite highbrow kind of science fiction concepts. Always, it's very, it does it in a way that hasn't been done before, and it's uh, and it still manages to be funny, and it still manages to sort of have some good humanity to it. But well, let just me, not hitting the mark for me at this point. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. uh, so it's not hitting the mark for you, but are you sticking around watching it? Yes, I will watch it all. Yeah, yeah for sure. Because um, I'm like I've got nothing else going on, really. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, my life is really dull. Um, That's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> Clearly, how much freaking TV we watch. But yeah, and like I and I and it's, and it's not like I'm going to come out and say Rick and Morty is crap because I don't think it is. But I'm I'm in. Also, you value your life, and I value my life. But but also, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where it goes again. I'm really interested to hear that you've only seen a couple all together. I might cherry pick a few out for you to watch. Yeah. Because oh. I think you would enjoy Like, there's it. no reason I haven't watched more. I watched... Here's a really good example. I watched the couple of them, and I was like, eh, I'm just not feeling this. I'm going to go to my soon-to-be-finished Disney Plus subscription and watch some Simpsons. Mm. And I watched season 12... No, I watched season 14, episode 12, where Lisa does a spelling bee, and it was 
just so much better <laughs> than the previous episodes of Rick and Morty that I was trying to watch. And that's season 14 of Season 14, episode 12. It's amazing. You, 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 uh, that, that's my new, even though I only picked it randomly and just sort of jumped in there. What, what I do when I'm on Disney Plus and I'm trying to find a Simpsons episode, it's like no, you know, no Christmas, no Halloween, no, um, basically no concept ones at all. Like nothing where they're like, you know, messing with, as long as it's like, Set in Springfield, yeah. Dumb shit happens. Homer gets in trouble. <laughs> They're the ones to watch, and so that's how I've been skating through. And I've had a very good success rate, even at the later seasons, doing that. Yeah, so I've been rewatching The Simpsons as well. So pretty much every night when I'm cooking, I put on a Simpsons episode. Where are you at? Well, pretty much everything I cook takes about like thirty minutes, <laughs> like thirty to forty minutes. So so did you start time. at season one, or where did you start? Started season two. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Right. So at the moment, I'm up to. I'm only in season three, like episode fifteen or something. I'm not too sure. I'm Are trying to remember what the episode was I watched most recently. I think that um, with this, we've talked a lot more about The Simpsons now, but that's fine. Um, that's what this podcast does. <laughs> How surreal is the first season watching it again now? It's amazing to kind of watch. There was, a, there was a long time where it was just unwatchable because it was so different to the kind of rest of it. But when you watch them now, they have this totally sort of different vibe and feel. And like they, they, they actually have a different sort of sense of empathy and... Uh, like they, they, it was, it's it's very interesting that first season. Look, they in do. Retrospect. And yeah, I mean, I agree with that entirely. Uh, the thing I would probably say is, I, I don't they're know, not very funny. As, as well, such. season one, I don't think it's funny, but season two is where you start to see like it's the good jokes along. really yeah, start yeah. landing through there. Uh, so the episode I watched most recently, I'm actually only still in season two. Um, I watched the O Brother Where Art There the other day. Oh yeah, uh, I finished watching Old Money. Yeah, so Actually, it yeah, is, that was the most recent episode I saw, and that wasn't that funny. But it's already starting to pick up into the... I mean, season three still has some issues. It's season four is the beginning of the actual, you know, yeah. the unmiss... The, the, the season four is where it's I th- amazing. I think season three is definitely where you start seeing it lift off. Yeah. Although, like, in... I'm about to watch the episode where Marge paints Mr. Burns. See, that's very good. That's pretty good. But, like, the episode after that is Lisa's substitute with Dustin Hoffman as the substitute teacher. Yeah, yeah, And, like, yeah. that's an all-timer episode. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's not like they start at four, but yes... I think it's like four, five, six, where you just don't have a... But the problem is I've seen them so many times. I can't keep Holy watching crap. them. Holy crap. Okay. Can we just talk about The Simpsons. <laughs> like, this is literally what I've got ahead of me at the moment. So, I just watched Old Money, which is the episode where Grandpa falls in love with a woman at the retirement home, and she's got a lot of money and leaves it to Abe. And that. It's an okay episode. Yeah. It's not too special. But this is what I've got coming up. Uh, I've got the episode where Marge paints uh, Mr. Burns. I've got Lisa's substitute. I've got an episode called The War of the Simpsons, which is when Mo- uh, Marge and Homer go to the marriage retreat, mm-hmm. and Homer spends his time wanting to chase that giant fish. <laughs> that has a name. I can't I'll, remember what it I'll is. I'll be a hero to those weirdos at the fishing store. I must say that twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always te- like contextually relevant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three Men in a Comic Book. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then after that, the final episode is Blood Feud. That's which, season two. These are that's all season, season two. two. Oh my god! Well, uh, maybe I take it back about. That. And that's the episode where Bart donates money, uh, donates some blood to Mister Burns. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, which I don't really remember much about that episode, so I'm looking forward to going back to it. We don't have 31 yet on the Netflix. I'm not sure. I mean, on the Disney Plus. I'm not sure why we don't yet. So I haven't watched any of them. Um, there was a, there was some excellent episodes in season 30, but yeah, I was really surprised at how. Like, well, yeah. for example. Here we go. I was going to say season three, which is when we were both saying it really kicks off. Like, this yeah. is the absolute murderous row of just great TV episodes. And I don't know if they're legitimately great and if they're that memorable or if it's just that we've seen them so many times. Yeah. But I, I kind of feel that they're actually great episodes. Uh, Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington. Yes, yes. Yeah. Very good. An amendment to be. 
Uh, you've got the episode with Ned Flanders opening the Lethorium. Yeah. Actually, here's something weird. Episode one from season three isn't there. Hmm. I wonder... Oh, is that... Maybe that's the... The Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson one. Might be. Like, is it that early in? Um, maybe it is. Yeah, it was very early because it was um, not long after the Do the Bartman and... Yeah, I suppose that makes the sense. The Michael Jackson song with with um, Bart in yeah. it. Uh, Bart the Murderer, which is when he starts working for the mobsters. Uh, you've got the episode where Homer saves the nuclear plant from a meltdown. Uh, you've got the episode where Krusty's reunited with his father, the Jewish rabbi. All right, here we go. I'm going to do. Th- I'm going to take over now. But so- like, that's like that's the first eight episodes of a TV season. That's incredible. Okay, so this is season 14, which everyone is always like, "Oh, it's already dead by then." You know what? I think I'd stop watching by this point. Listen to some of these. <laughs> Musician David Byrne offers to produce the song Homer wrote about his hatred for Ned Flanders. Never seen it. Go on. Season 14, episode 17. Homer relishes living with a gay couple and refuses to return home. Marge recruits Weird Al Yankovic to serenade her errant husband. Actually, I think I have seen that one. Season 14, episode 16. Lisa chooses a career in astronomy after a British filmmaker, Eric Idle, makes her feel inadequate. Never seen it. Homer and Lisa engineer a takeover at the nuclear power plant with Homer as the new CEO. That Never one's very it. good. Um, the one I watched was I'm spelling as fast as I can, which was Lisa becomes a spelling bee champion and co- and uncovers a Spellympics scandal, which was good. But Never the, seen it. But the B story is Homer tours the country on the trail of a limited edition Krusty Burger, the Rib Witch. <laughs> does which that, is, does w- it have the like person who wrote that episode? Because uh, that seems like a Bill Oakley plot. Oh, I like that you're saying that. Let's have a look. Um, but that was funny because we were talking about the social source, and also because um, they might, that's my little attempt at a callback. But um, written by Kevin Coran, whoever that is. I don't know a Kevin Coran. Um, and um, it's very funny because it's got because like there's a bunch of like old hippies that all follow the Ribwich van, except, like so they're like deadheads. They're like grateful deadheads, <laughs> but they're called like Ribwich heads or something like that. It's very. It's very good. So anyway, The Simpsons kept it going for 14 seasons. Ken, Rick and Morty, <laughs> for 14, for 30, at least 14 good ones. Can Rick and Morty pull off four? Time will tell. Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. Do you think there's going to be a sex explained episode about the rib witch? <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll, I will, I'll report back. Surely there is. Surely food's got to feature in there somehow. Oh, there's got to. Chris Yates. <laughs> Why are you slow at your bubble tea? <laughs> I'm just reflecting on the last 20 minutes of things that I've said, and yeah, you know, we're regretting all of it. Well, there's certainly no regrets, but uh, yes. Chris, it, the motto of this podcast: yes. no regrets, no regrets. Hashtag no regrets, no regrets. When you are sharing this episode with your friends online, put the hashtag in there: no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> tell your friends to listen to the show if they are into their television and don't hear, don't mind hearing two nitwits talking about animated shows and. Um, Less than dirty, slightly educational sex documentaries. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating stuff, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, just remember, the threesome is the most popular. Uh, I'll never forget Dan, online. and I'll never forget you're the person that told me, and I'll yep. always wonder why. Yeah, and when we hit the streets, we can find a third person and have a chat with them. <laughs> oh, God. Chris Yates. Yes, Dan. The pleasure of this podcast has been all mine. Mine as well. No, no, the pleasure has been shared by me. Let's leave it there. And... Uh, <laughs> And it's been great to be back in the seat. The second uh, episode for 2020. I'm looking forward to at least some more episodes in 2020 with you talking about many more television things. Yeah, there'll be at least three more. (laughs) Chris, uh, if you like this podcast, uh, do let people know about it. Uh, Subscribe to the newsletter, alwaysbewatching.com. You can hang out with us on our various social media platforms. So there at Twitter at abwatching. 
Uh, you can have a chat in the Facebook group, which is facebook.com something something. Always be watching. Mm-hmm. Just do a search. Yeah. And also on Reddit. There's a subreddit called reddit.com slash r slash always be watching. I don't know about that, dude. Some pretty cool guys out there, Chris. <laughs> I can imagine. I'll let you, I'll let you cool look guys. after that one for a little while. <laughs> Folks, this has been Always Be Watching. We'll see you next week. See ya.